I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Eric Eddings, co-host of Gimlet Media's The Nod, and this is OPP. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Other People's Podcast, where we interview your favorite podcasters and talk about the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Today's special guest is Eric Eddings, co-host of Gimlet's The Nod. The Nod is a podcast that releases every Monday and explores the beautiful yet complicated dimensions of Black life in America. Eric was also a co-producer of Mogul, a biographical podcast on the life of music executive Chris Lighting, which was also narrated by the late, great podcast legend Reggie Osei. In this interview, we're going to learn more about Eric, the launch of his first podcast for Colored Nerds, and chat about the latest dope show he created, The Nod. So let's get right into my interview with Gimlet podcast host and producer, my friend, Eric Eddings. Uh, one, two. All right, my man, what's up? We got Eric Eddings here, man. How's it going, brother? What's going on? Welcome to OPP, <laughs> bro. Thank you. Thank you. Good for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's like, a, it's a fun time. It's a busy time, but a fun time. You are from originally Maryland area, D.C. area? No, no, no. I went to, uh, I went to school in D.C., so I went okay, to Howard. Howard. Okay, Yeah. Uh, but that's where you know Ron and Don Brody. Yeah, yeah. Okay, friends. shout out to the Brodies, man. Shout yes. out to them. Here we <laughs> Always. go. Gotta show them love. Uh, but no, I'm from Memphis. I'm from Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up there... Uh, Actually, between there and like, I have a lot of family in uh, Louisiana as well. So, you know, I spent some summers down there. But uh, in this like really small city called like Bogalusa, it's like... Uh, Bogalusa? Yeah, it's like, it looks like a place called Bogalusa too. But uh, it is, it's like an hour and 40 minutes outside of New Orleans. Like a little bit of a drive, but wow. not too bad. Yeah. And so what was it like growing up in, in Memphis? Memphis was dope. I mean, it was one of those things like... You know, you hate it, and then you realize once you left, like, oh, it wasn't that bad. You know, like it was pretty fun. Like I was a, I was a bit of a square growing up. I mean, I'm a square now, but uh, being, being a square is cool, though. Oh, I mean, it works. It works as an adult, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it works when it comes to getting checks. Exactly on the basketball team. Yeah. You know, so we're trying to get girls. It's not nah. quite. Not quite. <laughs> uh, but no. But as as a teen, yeah, man, I did like. I was a, I was big into volunteering, so like I was like the uh, chair of the youth board of U, of United Way of oh, the Mid South, wow. and like I feel um, like the son my mom wish she had. <laughs> I mean, if you ask my mom, she probably at the time was not that was not the hype, but um, but on paper everything everything was dope for sure. Like you know, my grades were fine. Like I uh, I was like a theater nut for a little while. Like yeah, it was one of those things. Like the biggest problem was that like I was coming home like thirty minutes late. You know, not like super late at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at Howard, did you uh, study media journalism or anything? Kind of, sort of. So, like, um, I study advertising. Okay. Uh, but the advertising program is kind of nestled underneath the journalism program. Okay. So, uh, so like, within that, basically, I was taking advertising courses, but, like, your base courses were journalism courses. So, like, you know, um, journalism 101, you know, pitching, writing, like, brief news hit stories, stuff like that. 
Um, so I had a little bit of that, but honestly, I was not thinking about it at all at that particular point. Like I wanted to be a talent agent. So um, I literally like, there's no degree for being a talent agent. So I just needed a degree. So I was like, uh, advertising, I like selling stuff, I like business. Um, it seems like a, a way to possibly be creative. So I was more so focused on that. Wait, so a talent agent for like music or? F- uh, film, film and scripts. Yeah. Okay. I, like I'm a big, uh, still still a big like film and TV nut. So like I was really interested in either repping like actors, directors, or maybe like screenwriters in terms of like identifying projects and kind of helping them get packaged and sold. Um, clearly didn't work out that way, but. <laughs> but, but but it still ties very much aligned with what you're doing in a way, yeah, in, yeah, in a yeah. way today. As far as you know, I, obviously the nod isn't a scripted show, sure. but it's still yeah. a production. It's still yeah, it's identifying stories. It's like yeah. you know, there's a lot of writing. There's a lot of like you know, what what about this? Who are the characters that are gonna make this story pop? They're gonna make this story shine. You know, how is the structure of the story told? Uh, it's just a lot more. Uh, like in it, in the muck, as opposed to like what a town agent would do, which is like take the script, read it, be like, oh, I think this is good. I can sell it. Gotcha. You know? And so like, what was Howard like overall? Oh, I mean, Howard is like, I mean, the thing is- You're proud bison. I am. But it's like, <laughs> the thing is, anytime you ask somebody who went to Howard about Howard, like we sound like the most insufferable people possible. Because I'm like, <laughs> you know, Howard is like Black Valhalla, you know? Yeah, 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 It's like, I mean, he's got, obviously this guy's issues. Those are like in the news right now. But, um, but it was great for me. You know, it was amazing to be able to talk to so many you know, so many different types of black folks, you know, and even the few folks who weren't black or didn't, or didn't identify as black. Like it was interesting to be like, you know, why, what about this place made you choose this environment, you know, Mm. to, to get an education in. So, um, you know, education in a side, education part was, was great. You had to work real hard to like, you know, go through the A building and get all your ducks in a row. But for me, the like, the network building and world building was amazing. Cause like coming from Memphis, you know, it's, there's a few, it's like consistent narratives, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I'm from this place in the South. I'm from this place in the South. Right. We've been in Memphis forever. Or like I moved here from X place for this reason. Um, but it's all usually within a fairly like specific radius, you know, like you're not getting black people from, um, from Europe, from France, from, right, you know, right, right. like you're not getting people from continental Africa. Like, you know, you, you just would never really be exposed to that, to those many, to that many people, that many different stories um, in a way that where you can actually like really build and, and, and learn from each other. I thought that I went to an HBCU my freshman year. I went to mm-hmm. uh, Virginia State. Yeah. yeah. And that was the first time where I realized that being black uh, there was different black experiences. Exactly. So exactly. A person who's uh, you know black from LA is going to have a different experience than a person who's black from Chicago yeah. versus black in New Orleans or black in New York and DC or abroad internationally. In general, it was like I would say Howard is probably one of the uh, like best examples of just the fact that like we are not a monolith. You mm-hmm. know, like I don't know. Like I talked to like one of. My, <laughs> One of the most interesting conversations we had, uh, so in the freshman, the freshman uh, men's dorm, um, it's like, it's like, it looks like a prison, but you know, everybody is like, it, it, it has like a sentimental spot in everybody's heart and everybody kind of just pours into the hallways at night and just starts like talking. And so I, like, I'll never forget, like, 
I kind of stumbled into this conversation one day of um, some cats who were from like Ghana and Nigeria, and they were talking about how their parents had prepared them um, to like basically to watch out for American black people because the culture that they had consumed made, you know, paints a very specific narrative and they didn't have much to refute that. Mm. So, you know, when they got here, they were really like wary of us. And it's like, what are you talking about, man? Like, you know, like one, stop watching TV or like, <laughs> you know, watch different TV, you know, or, or whatever it is, whatever is like building this idea, um, you know, it's, it's like misinformed in a similar way that we are misinformed about like, you know, what life is like in Ghana or Nigeria. Exactly. You yeah. know? Um, and so we just had this like hours long conversation. It started out really contentious because like you tell me, you watching out for me, you know, I'm like, I'm watching out for you, you know? And then those walls start to break down. Uh, and by the end of the conversation, you know, we're building in a way where it's like, nah, it's a, you know, we're, we're the same. Very different experiences, but we, we're the same. Right, we right, this, right. This lens, this context, and, you know, we can build off of that. And so your, your experience at Howard uh, comes to an end. You graduate, and where do you go? Man, I went to, so I wanted to be a talent agent. So it was basically either LA or New York. Uh, and for some reason now, I literally question my decision-making, but um, I wanted to move to New York. I was like, I need seasons. Yeah, it's also just like, you know, the entertainment industry is in LA. Right. Like, you know, especially at this particular point, it's like 2008. So, uh, but I moved to New York and the job market was, you know, a mess after the financial crisis. So like none of the agencies were hiring. Like it was literally at the point they would not, um, they never really post job vacancies. Like usually they have like a program that you can apply to. But they had like posted on the website, even like, look, y'all, it's a wrap. It's quiet out here. You know, like we are just, there's a hiring freeze. We're not taking anybody. So I really had to kind of like reevaluate what I wanted to do. Uh, And for a while, like I like quickly got my real estate license. I ended up working in like a real estate office. I was a broker for a little while and then managed a real estate office. I like, uh, what else did I do? Oh my God. I worked at J. Crew for a little bit. Um, and then ultimately I finally got a job at an agency, but it was a photography agency. So okay. it was like a very different, um, kind of like a very different style. You're booking photographers and directors for like commercials and like print shoots. And, okay. And editorial shoots as well. So yeah. And so like, like how long is this like period of time from being in New York and working like the odd jobs and until you got that first well, job kind of sorta in the industry? Yeah, I mean that was, I would say, probably about uh, almost a year. Okay. You know? Yeah. So I worked in real estate for like eight months um, and then just up and quit because I was like, this is... Not the move. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't something I was passionate about. It was literally like, I knew I could take that test and pass it and like the real estate test. And uh, so after I took that test, I was like, ah, maybe I'll do this. But like, you know, I, I chose to go into real estate in the aftermath of the worst real estate crisis, probably, you know, in American history, or at least since like (laughs) the Great Depression, you know. So clearly my decision-making was like right, like spot on. Um, (laughs) But anyway, so I I did like eight months of that. And then I was like unemployed for a while. There's still a lot, sadly, a lot more steps before I end up in kind of what I'm doing today. And when did you... uh first hear about like this world of podcasting 
So it wasn't actually that long ago. You know, I, I wasn't a big podcast fan. Uh, like, actually, that's an understatement. I did not listen to podcasts. And I think maybe four-ish years ago, I, I heard about a show called The Read. Um, and I was like, wow, that seems, that seems really dope. A lot of people were talking about it, like, God, listen to it. God, listen to it. God, listen to it. And I, you know, had no real like urgency to it. It didn't mean anything. So I was like, ah, whatever. Um, and then, uh, and then one of my really good friends, Brittany, uh, she hit me up and basically was like, man, you're a really shitty friend. Like, you know, I just moved, she had just moved from uh, Michigan to New York and she moved like uh, like basically around the corner from me. And we never saw each other because I was always working. So she was like, why don't I ever see you? You live like literally at like not even a five-minute walk from my door. Yeah. Um, and so we started talking about trying to figure out like a project that we could do. You know, like what's something we could do together? Because I don't Spend like, time together. <laughs> yeah. I don't like just like hanging out. I like, you know, I'm very much... Kind of like a little bit of a type A person in the sense that I like utility. Yeah. I'm like, let's not just be spending time. Let's do something while we do it, you know? So, you know, I started thinking back about like the read and like, you know, how it's like two friends kind of having conversation. Um, they have this structure and, uh, you know, it's resulting in these conversations that people really, really enjoy. It seems really, it seemed fairly like um, easy to kind of get into, you know, in terms of like, you don't need a you know you don't need a shit ton of equipment. Um, you kind of just need the microphone and and the voice, and you go. So uh, so I started back listening. I listened to the read. And I was like, oh man, this is amazing. Uh, and I was like, I think we could do this differently, but I think we could do something like this. Um, and so I pitched that to Brittany, and eventually she was like, no. Uh, but then after what, I pushed, what was her, what was her reservations? Her reservations. She basically was like, Brittany is one of those people who wants to do creative projects, and she's probably gonna come for me after saying this. But uh, she wants to do creative projects, but struggles with the idea of people seeing those creative projects and understanding that it's her. Mm, okay. So she was like, "This is a lot of visibility." for us. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. I was like, nobody's going to listen to it. <laughs> you know, like, which is just do it. It's something to do. Uh, and eventually she kind of came around. But once we started doing it, we liked it. You know, like, so we started sending it to people and like trying to like intentionally get in in front of, you know, family and friends to be like, this is good. This is good. Uh, and people started to like slowly get into it. And so, you know, we were like, maybe we should actually release this like wide. Uh, and did, like, did you get the gear first or she get the gear first? We didn't buy any gear. We like were borrowing. So my friend Gabriel, who uh, was like my, at one point he was my roommate, um, but then he like lived in the neighborhood. Um, he had a Blue Yeti microphone um, and we would literally borrow it every uh, Sunday <laughs> to record and then take it back to him after we finished. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I was just plugging it straight into my computer. You know, we would get all types of glitches and like, you know, you hear sirens. It was it was rough. At one point, you know, my uh, partner at the time, um, we were recording in my living room and she would, she would have to text me and be like, hey, I really need to go to the bathroom. Can I like, can you guys pause for a second so I can go to the restroom? So, <laughs> You know, so you don't hear the flush in the in like the back of the episode. Uh, so you know, it was real DIY, but we you know we committed to it. And what would you edit with? Uh, we edited. What do we edit with? Oh, Audacity. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just like got a little more sophisticated. Is it? I mean, I use GarageBand. <laughs> no, I think honestly, I think 
I think GarageBand is probably now more fully featured. I think Audacity, Audacity is like an entry level, it's very much an entry level um, audio editor. Like a lot of the things that you um, that you might want to do that are a little more complex are actually super hard to do in Audacity. Whereas in GarageBand, it's a little easier because they they I think they think a little more about like, you know, in general, just user experience. Yeah. So I mean, you probably do. You probably do a lot better than I am. What I was with Audacity, um, but that's what we used initially. Okay. Yeah, okay. Sure. And so, uh, at, at what point did you launch? We launched. Shit. And the, the show became for colored nerds. Yeah, the show was for colored nerds. There we go. Uh, yeah, this was. I want to say it was like uh, 2014, maybe the top of 2015. Um, wasn't that. It had to been 14, yeah. Okay. So we basically launched, I remember we launched in like a, in like December, I think. And by like around the time uh, Martin Luther King Day was coming around, we got an email from uh, from Apple. Basically, we had put our first five episodes in like a real rough logo that I described, that I designed uh, on iTunes and they hit us up like, you know, hey, we listened to your show. We, kind of, we really like it. You know, we're going to put you on New and Noteworthy. And we were like, that was wow. great. That was easy. You know, we didn't actually uh, do much do much to, like, cultivate that relationship. But, yeah, they, they select us. And that actually was one of the big things that really, like, changed stuff for our show. Were you having, like, crazy numbers? Yeah. Like, that, that, first, first, that first week or so? So we were on New and Noteworthy for, and on the front page of New and Noteworthy for almost three weeks. Wow. Um, and literally it was the difference between, um, you know, maybe like a couple hundred downloads on a good episode. And literally we were at like thousands of downloads within within a week for sure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that big. Because, you know, and that's actually, that's how we got on Gimlet's radar. So Gimlet Media, uh, the company where I'm at now, the network where I'm at right now. Um, at the time, Alex uh, Bloomberg, who's the CEO, he would listen to the first five minutes of every show. Um, every show that's on the front page of New and Noteworthy. And he hit us up like, hey, uh, I listened to the first five minutes of everything on New and Noteworthy and your show was the first one that I finished. Um, and at the time we were making a long ass show. It was like an hour and 15 minutes. Um, our shows now are a lot, lot shorter, but, uh, but yeah, he hit us up like, you know, Hey, you should think about this. And we were like, who's this, who's this white man? You know, like, <laughs> uh, we had read about him a little bit, but you know, we didn't know that much about Gimlet, but we kind of went back and dug into the back catalog. Uh, at that point it was still really early in the company. Yeah. So it was like, it was just startup and, and reply all had just got there um but yeah it felt like felt like a good sign like with the the rise of our downloads and like you know at that point our like fan social community started to take off with it a little bit um it felt like a a signal to us that we like this is an area that we should focus and before uh the news noteworthy like how did you get uh, the word out about your show it was honestly, it was just friends and family. So literally, we were, you know, we had sent, we we had luckily done the work of sending them uh, like two episodes, I think two episodes, and having them fill out like this survey um, just to see if it was good. Because we were like, literally, tell us if we should not do this. Mm. You know, like, do you actually find this interesting? We asked them for you know a few points 
um, specific points of feedback in terms of like tone, did you find the topic in- interesting? Did you find the format interesting? Stuff like that. Uh, and they gave us really good positive feedback. So, you know, when we, it was time to like widely launch, we, you know, reached out to them. Hey, can you tweet about it? Can you, you know, share this on Facebook, blah, blah, blah. And the growth again at that point was really, you know, was really small. You know, we hit, I remember, I remember when we hit 250 downloads on an episode, we were like, we are fucking famous, <laughs> you know, like sky's the limit. Um, obviously, new and noteworthy was when a lot of that audience kind of came into the picture because it's just it is like it is meant to be a growth, uh, right? It's a growth position, exactly, exactly. And so, how did you end up being over at Gimlet? So we had that conversation. We were like, so you know, they invited us to come in, and we were like, so why are we here? You know, like what what exactly? You know, what's the plan? Uh, and they initially were like, we don't know. Uh, but we really like you guys and we think you have talent. Um, and we just want to encourage you to think about one that, you know, if you haven't already get serious about it and, you know, when you do get serious about it, think about it as a potential career because, you know, that's kind of, that's the world they were trying to build. And so we were like, okay, sure. I mean, but like, how are you going to help us do that? You know, realistically, it was like resources at the time. So um, we actually work with them. They they made an arrangement that they hadn't made for anybody else, and they let us record in their studios. Um, and then at the time, um, the company used to do this thing called Radio Class, mm-hmm. um, where basically every Friday they would, uh, everybody in the company, which was like 15, 20 folks maybe, uh, would gather around in a circle, eat bagels, and Alex would like, play tape and basically like teach lessons on how to make narrative audio, uh, audio podcast. So we would literally, I would lie to my job. And, uh, at the time my partner was, uh, my partner at the time was pregnant and I'd be like, you know, she has this reoccurring doctor's appointment that I have to go to every Friday morning from <laughs> 9.30 to 11. And I'm just going to have to come in late. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Um, and so we would basically lie to our jobs and go to Gimlet to learn how to how to do this thing. And about, I want to say about like four to six months later. Sorry, timelines are fuzzy. Uh, also, this mezcal is great. There we go. Um, but yeah, so... Literally, not not too many months after that, they actually reached out to Brittany um, because they were workshopping a uh, a pilot and they needed they needed a host um, for the show called Sampler, which was a podcast about podcasts, and um, and so she was like, "Wait, what's going on? Like, should you know, should I do this? It's like weird. Do we keep for color nerds?" And it was like, it was quickly like. You know, you can still continue to do your your own show. You know, we just want to kind of run this test and see what happens. So I was like, one, you got to do it. You know, if nothing else, you go do that. That's going to bump up for culinaries because folks are going to discover this through, through exactly. Gimlin. Exactly. Uh, and so she did that and got the job and they started doing Sampler. And I was, to be honest, I was a little skeptical of joining the company. Uh, as I mentioned, I was about to become a dad at that point. And, you know, advertising money, which is where I was working at the time, advertising money is good money. You yeah. know, like you, you, you eat, you know, it's really nice. And so the idea of, you know, giving that up for this startup to make podcasts, uh, when I knew no other people who did that, you know, was daunting. Um, 
but I liked what I was doing. So, you know, we kind of, we kept making for color nerds and that show kept, just kept growing. Um, and eventually I was like, I think I want to do this. So I started kind of going back uh, to Gimlin and being like, no, actually I do want a job. Like, hey, how do we make, <laughs> how we make this happen? You know, remember My me? Bad. You told me I was talented. <laughs> I'm still, still same person, same old E, you know? Uh, and Eventually, I actually applied for one gig and didn't get it, which I'm thankful for because it wasn't it wasn't quite the right one. It would have been in their ads department. Uh, but not too long after that, like a few months later, another job opened up in their development department. And I was like, that's the one I want. Uh, so I applied and I got it. So yeah. And that's why I joined, actually almost two years ago, uh, my two-year anniversary of joining the company was April 1st. Wow. Thanks. Just clap it up. Appreciate it, man. Clap it up. And, and so uh, you get into the company doing development, mm-hmm. but you, st- you keep doing for, for color nerds. Yeah. So we made sure, like, we were like, look, y'all, like, our podcast is popular. You're not at the point, at that point, you know, Brittany was hosting Sampler and uh, our show is doing really well. So we were like, we're not going to stop this. You know what I'm saying? Like, we want to make sure this is cool with you that we're going to keep doing it because, uh, you know, we own it fully and, like, in, in, I guess in some in some worlds it could have been perceived as like a conflict, but um, they were always really adamant. Like, look, this show is how we found you. You know, like we like it, we love it. We're literally we're fans, so we're not going to make you stop doing that. Okay. Um, so what I did in development, I worked on their new shows. So basically, um, I worked on a show called Undone, which was kind of a newsy show. Uh, where like they took a an event from the present and then use that to like dive into an event from the past and talk about how things had changed and okay. why they both matter. Um, so I did a story for them um, uh, about uh, this, actually about my mom's hometown, Bogalusa. And then I worked on uh, another series called Mogul, um, The Life and Death of Chris Lighting. It's humongous. Thanks, yeah. That, that's, a, that's a breakthrough um, moment, I think, for hip hop podcasting. Absolutely, yeah. I like, mean, tell me, tell me more about like that experience and how, how did you get pulled into Mogul? Yeah, you know, rest in peace, also to Combat Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reggie Osei. Yeah, uh, we really miss him. He. Um, so basically, like, I was in development, and development is kind of like a really small, like, farm team. You know, essentially, like, so if they get an idea for a project, they apply, uh, and and the idea is like kind of greenlit. And that's like a fuzzy thing. There's a lot of different ways that happens. But after show is greenlit, they staff it initially with uh, people from the development um, office. Okay. And so uh, one of the benefits of being one of few black people, you know, in the development pool at that particular time, when the hip hop show came up, I was like, yo, how about you You know what's up? (laughs) (laughs) You know? You already Uh, know. Like, I want on that. (laughs) And uh, our senior, the senior producer for that show, uh, who kind of worked really hand-in-hand with Reggie, um, was this guy named Matthew Nelson, a Scottish guy. Um, And he was basically like, yeah, man, we need all, I need all the help I can get. Because he actually, he was learning about hip-hop as he was working with Reggie to try to craft the idea for what this thing could be. Because did, did Reggie come up with the idea to do the show? So basically Reggie, okay, so to, to backtrack a little bit. So 
Alex reached out to uh, Reggie Ose, Combat Jack, and Chris Morrow. Over at Loudspeakers. Um, at Loudspeakers. And basically was like, look, I love what you're doing. You know, like, you guys have been running a network for years at this point. You know, like, uh, we should find a way to work together. Um, and so they they came over. They thought, they thought that sounded cool. They started bouncing ideas. And ultimately... I think I think most of them got rejected, and they were in the sense like both of them were like, ah, this isn't quite interesting or worth it enough. But then they landed on this story of uh, you know this this manager who's who you know whose life kind of traced the same arc as hip hop, at least in the early years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he had this kind of uh, I guess you say mysterious or even suspicious. Uh, fall from grace. Yeah. Um, ultimately, there resulted in his his suicide. Uh, well, that's alleged. Alleged yes. suicide. Yeah. Listen to the show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that idea really picked up. And so at that point, they initially put on Matt, Matthew Nelson, who I mentioned, uh, who was like the senior producer, and he was working with Reggie hand in hand. And when they started to realize, no, this is a deep well here. Like, it's going to it's going to require a lot of resources. Like, I think we're really going to make this. Um, that's kind of when I came on. Okay. Um, and I was, a, like, I guess the number two producer. Whereas he was a senior, I was, like, a like an AP or just producer wow. on the project. And that also launched on Spotify, if I'm not correct, right? So that also was the, plat- the initial podcast that Spotify really backed and supported and launched their podcast program. Yeah, so, like, we had a pretty... Uh, I heard the launch party was crazy. Launch party was good. It was a good time. It was a good time. I heard it was crazy. Yeah, I love... I was, I remember, like, walking out uh, of the club. It was at Marquee. It was the first time I'd ever been to Marquee. And I walk out, and I was like, oh, I'm soaking wet. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, I had a good time, you know? Um but yeah, so Spotify basically approached, once they got wind of what we were doing, they approached like Gimlet and Loudspeakers and they were like, you know, we believe in this project and, you know, we want to um, we wanna push it. Like we actually want it to be a quote unquote Spotify podcast. So Gimlet and Loudspeakers produced it, but technically it's like a, technically at that particular point, it was a Spotify podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then uh, it like wide release launched after. So yeah, it was a, it was a pretty, over like, Soup to nuts, it was a really new thing, you know, in terms of um, there weren't a lot of, to be honest, there just weren't a lot, I mean, still aren't a lot of like black, like uh, narrative uh, audio series, especially when you think about like biopics. Right, right. That was the thing that honestly just hasn't, hadn't been done a whole lot anyway. Um, And so to do this in this way, with the support, you know, with buy-in from like Def Jam and you know and Warren G and all the you know all the other kind of people, Fat Joe and all the other folks who were kind of affiliated with it, and then have Spotify support it and push it out, really made a massive difference in terms of um, the show being able to have the impact that we wanted. And so after that experience, I was like, I don't know if this is, I don't know how into it I am. But working on Mogul, I was like, oh no, I like podcasting. I like reporting. You know, I like building these stories. I like constructing a narrative arc, you know, tweaking scenes until like I feel like, you know, they come alive a little bit. 
uh, it kind of crystallized for me that like this way of making podcasts was for me, mm. um, which was what felt really different. I mean, it also was nice, you know, go to a bar and be like, oh, what do you do? I work in podcasting. Like, oh, what show you work on? I mentioned Mogul. And they'd be like, wait, I know Mogul. Yeah. You know, that is actually for like, for most folks, that's a pretty rare experience. Uh, just to run into people who know your stuff. And so, you know, it really, it, it changed some things in terms of like, oh, wait, what do you also do? Like, I work on a show of colors. Wait, I know that too. You know, and it was one of those things like, people started to see me uh, as, I guess, like a, like a, a Black podcaster with some, I don't know, whatever. I think for me also... When Mogul came out was around the time that I started getting into podcasting as well. And so that kind of became the gateway wow. podcast for, I think, a lot of uh, black listeners, honestly. Because I think a lot of the shows weren't really created necessarily for us in mind. Yeah. And so I think for a lot of, you know, black folks in the space, we're like, oh, wow, it's like our show. It's yeah. Like the show that we're into. Like, naturally, we can gravitate towards. No, absolutely. I mean, and, and that was, I mean, and that's the one that's amazing. Like, you know, thank you. Like, it was one of those things... Uh, that was very intentional, you know, and even throughout production, you know, uh, I would say like Reggie, myself, even Chris were really focused on making sure that the narrative always stayed true to that. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes in narrative, um, in narrative podcasting and narrative is just like when you're telling a story, mm-hmm. you know, um, so much is on what the story needs, you know, in terms of like, how do we make the story as compelling as possible? Um, but one thing we were we had to kind of keep present was like, look, we want the story to be as compelling as possible, but it, if it isn't told in an authentic way, if it isn't told with some intentionality in terms of who it's for, mm. you know, um, then the people who are going to listen aren't going to, they're going to see that. It's going to mm. be really apparent and they're not going to support it. So we made sure to like talk to the people. One, like, you know, um, make sure we reach out to all the people involved, not just like the big stars, like, you know, um, like Fat Joe, Russell Simmons, you know, that type of stuff. Um, you know, we reach out to, you know, people, this one guy who's like uh Tri-Qua Quest assistant. And like, I don't think we ever found out his real name, <laughs> but, you know, we did a two hour interview with him and it was, you know, it was pretty great. And he helped us like back up a story. Um, in addition, we did things like uh, making sure the scoring, you know, we had a, in-house engineering team that could have probably attempted to do all that music, but we worked with uh, Prince Paul, um, you know, and who did a lot of production for like Tribe and Mm -hmm. a lot of other groups, De La Soul, Uh, in addition to uh, Nana Cobana, who um, did a lot of the production work for um, Jadena. And uh, I think he's done some stuff. I think he's underneath Wonderland, basically. Okay. He's one of their producers, but really, really talented guy. Um, but we made sure to basically what I'm saying is like we we made sure every detail came from as much as possible came from originated from within hip hop culture. And I think ultimately what we landed with in terms of the final piece, that's very apparent. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Yeah. Wow. And so uh, now you are working on The Nod. Yeah. So I co-host The Nod with uh, my best friend, Brittany Luce. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, and you guys are back together. We are. We are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was weird because we never quite left, uh, to, I think, to, you know, to both of our chagrin. Uh, so we've been stuck with each other for the past, like, three years. But it's... Uh, she it's stuck a, with you, man. She, she wanted to see you. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's like our financial futures are tied together at this particular point. So, like, you know, if there's ever been any incentive to make our friendship work, it is now this. Uh, like, how did that show come about? And then tell the listeners, like, what is the knot? Sure. So the I'll tell you the, what the nod is, and then I'll go back to what it's about. There we go. Um, so the nod is a podcast about Black culture at, at like the quickest version, but um, we try to do that. We try to approach that massive umbrella of Black culture from um, a space of storytelling. So there's a lot of narrative uh, kind of work similar to the things I did on Undone and Mogul. Um, in addition with a mix of like the conversational fun that you would get from, you know, our old show for colored nerds mm-hmm. or uh, even in a show like the read or, you know, friend zone or some of the more conversational shows. And so we, we kind of created this, like, it's like very weird mix of the two. Um, and it's been pretty, it's been pretty awesome. Like in the sense that we, you know, we do stories like uh, my last story was about, this YouTube conspiracy theorist who uh, developed this theory that uh, a record company in the 80s called Soul Clone Records was cloning its artists, one of them being Mm. Sean Wayans. uh, And that's how we actually got, like those clones became, went on to become Big Sean and Jason Derulo. Um, so very serious stuff, you know? <laughs> so like, that's one story. We kind of fact check it and dive into that world, which okay. is insane, you know, but at the same time, we, you know, do things that are a lot more poignant and emotional. You know, I did a two-part series on this family that basically like after emancipation continued to work and serve the white family that had owned them through the seventies, mm. you know, they kind of never really moved out of this shadow of slavery. So we kind of told um, that story through this like one woman, uh, Everly Hairston, and kind of traced her from, traced her family from before the Civil War to uh, over 108 years after. Wow. So, you know, the, the beautiful thing about doing a show about Black culture is like both of those things exist underneath it and they're both valid. You know, they're, they're, the ridiculous is, is valid and the serious is valid as well. So we get to have a lot of fun in terms of how to approach doing all those things. And the show has kind of turned into this really fun, like, celebration. Yeah, I, I love the show because, number one, uh, it's a very fine line to walk. Because sure, yeah. Like, <laughs> Trust we know. Right, yeah, it's a, it's a very, because you're defining Black the black experience for a person who may not be black. Yeah. So they have to listen to the show and yet as a black man, sure. I'm like, I don't know, know dog. <laughs> <laughs> like what's about to happen. Well, you know what? My favorite, my favorite episode was an episode about, uh, black cards. Oh yeah. Black playing cards. Yeah. Tracing the race cards. Yes. Yeah. And I thought that was the most Extremely, extremely articulate and well spoken, and was well put together episode. Thanks. Uh, also, too, because of your producer, I can't think of her name. Kate, Kate Parkinson Morgan. Yeah. Yes, and the way that she interjects into the conversation because she brings up the topic of, yeah. saying, "Hey guys, 
There's this like this 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 game. The quick version is like yes. so it's a playing. It's almost like Cards Against Humanity, and basically like you you might have a card that is Frederick Douglass, and I might have Ida B. Wells, and you have to construct an argument about why Frederick Douglass is blacker than yes. Ida B. Wells. Yes, uh, which is a thing. You know, it's a conversation black folks have all the time, like in jest. Uh, you know, but but like what Kate was bringing to us was basically like it kind of changes a little bit once you put it into the context of a game for the same reason, you know, that you mentioned the hesitancy with the show is that like maybe people who aren't black are playing this, you know? And it's like, what happens then when you consider that? Um, There was also the example of there was a teacher, a professor who was using the game mm -hmm. uh, as well, who's a black professor. Yeah. yeah. And he introduces it to students of, you know, everyone in, in the room and they're all playing it. And, and mostly it, white, yeah. Mostly white, and it creates this dialogue. But then it also creates the dialogue of if a white teacher was mm-hmm. playing the same game. Uh, but I think it, the Nye really brings about like a healthy dialogue uh, about race that takes it, sometimes when you're having, uh, it's difficult to have a conversation with, you know, you and I can have a conversation sure, yeah. about race, but it's very, it's very difficult to have a person who doesn't come from the culture mm-hmm. uh, have a vantage point and see our point of view. And it, I think it does a very healthy job of that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we make the show, I think it's one, it's kind of a similar approach to how we, uh, how Gimlet like approached, you know, kind of diving into Mogul a bit. Like we make the show for black people, right? You know, like we want the show to feel most natural to us. Mm-hmm. And, but that said, the storytelling aspect allows us to create kind of like on-ramps, you know, for folks who might not have the right amount of context to mm-hmm. really be able to understand this. There's still some things they might miss, you know, like there's jokes that we might make that, you know, on the surface are funny, but they're real fucking funny if you're black. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So, you know, we... What has been awesome is like that allows us a, a, a kind of a way of doing both. You know, we don't have to worry about the pressure of like, how do we make a black show for non-black people? Uh, we just focus on making a real black show. Uh, and this, you know, the rules that we use to do that make it accessible for people who aren't black. Mm. Uh, and so it's this really awesome kind of byproduct, uh, you know, that we are happy exists and really broadens who the show is quote unquote for, you know? I also like the fact that the title very much describes everything you just said. Exactly. The experience of walking down the street and giving like, yo, what's up? A a little nod. Yeah. And maybe uh, another person, another person, another race would go, oh, they're just saying hello, like silently. But no, 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 no. That nod is... It means something. It it means a lot. There's a world in that (laughs) nod, you know? Yeah, and that's that's exactly the thing. We want to, you know, it's a thing, it's a gesture that, you know, everybody has an idea of, but there's a familiarity with with black people that's like deeper and more slightly more nuanced. Yes. You know? Um, yeah, thank you. I'm glad. It's nice to know people are picking up on that. Yeah, I love it. I love it, man. I'm a big fan. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And uh, also, I want to ask you, we're getting to this part of the show where I like to ask the subject of, of today's episode. Sure. What are three podcasts that we should be tuning into that you really enjoy? All right. Um, what, so- are, what are E-Money's picks? I would choose, I would say my first one, uh, and I just really started getting into it, um, but Homegirl in the City. Uh, So it is produced by uh, a woman named Ivana Renee. So basically, it's like short, like 
fiction segments. And basically, she'll talk to her friends about like what it's like to just be a young, like, black girl in New York, literally in the city. And she takes those stories and, like, punches them up and turns them into, like, these, like, like fictional narratives. And they're, like, so fun and short and bite-sized. Um, and it, if it's nice. It's the thing that I feel like I wasn't hearing before, you know? Like, there have been fictionalized series, especially, you know, that are black. There's, like, Bronzeville, um, um, there's Fruit, you know, from Issa Rae. Mm-hmm. But, um, but this particular one, one is bite-sized, and I, I often don't have a ton of time to listen to podcasts. So anything short is like gold for me. And it's just really funny, really fun, and reminds me, or it, it feels like it keeps me in line with use, you know? Okay, okay. Because <laughs> I often feel like an old man. So, uh, so it's nice to know what, what the 20-year-olds are thinking about. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's one. I guess I would say two... I say still processing. Um, So, you know, in the sense like we, so still processing is hosted by uh, Jenna Wortham and Weston Morris, who are both um, writers for the New York Times Times magazine. Yeah. And, um, and it's a, it's a cultural criticism show, you know, and it's one of those things like uh, Brittany and I, uh, my co-host Brittany and I used to host for Color Nerds, obviously. And that was for us, at its bones, a cultural criticism show. And what I love about Still Processing, it like gives me that little fix of, you know, what I like miss about For Colored Nerds. Yeah. Uh, But they take these conversations and spin them out in this really interesting way. You know, like Wesley and Jenna are just able to, you know, take a little nugget of culture and really dive into the what, why, how, you know, how we got here, why does it matter, um, and what actually is the scope of this thing that we talk about? And I know that's like, that's a heady thing to think about, but basically like they took things like the idea of going to the beach and explored like what it means to go to the beach if you're black, you know? Mm. The fact that black people couldn't originally go to beaches a lot of times. That's, you know, that leads into a, a lot of the hesitancy around black folks who like to swim, you know? And, you know, they talked about what it means to go in mass to the beach, how that's almost like reclaiming spaces that you know should be available to us but it's just it's just really good nuanced like conversation about things that you you know wouldn't immediately pull out of the air and they take it to an interesting place so still processing okay and lastly okay i'm gonna recommend one but i'm gonna give a heavy disclaimer okay okay go so uh this show is called trapping anonymous right (laughs) okay (laughs) All right. So it's hosted by this guy. You go from the New York Times to Trapping Anonymous. Let's go. You know, black culture is there. We <laughs> are vast. not a monolith. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like the smart. I like the ratchet. It's all in there. Uh, and so Trapping Anonymous is hosted by this guy, Chris Styles, And he talks to different, you know, people who out there doing dirt. You know, uh, so there's and each one is like labeled with like the industry and, you know, uh, they're, they're anonymous conversations with people from within, within that industry. So like there's credit card scamming anonymous. There's <laughs> like uh, there's like I think there's a back page anonymous. There's, uh, you know, people who sell drugs and he's having li- like just straight up conversation like, yo, what is it really like? Are you ever afraid to sell drugs, you know, like, yeah. And it's this really interesting conversations um, with people who you just wouldn't normally hear from, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause nobody's about to be out here dry snitching on themselves. Right. Uh, but he does it in this like 
really interesting way. It's it's like super lo-fi. Like, you know, you will hear the Skype cut out. Like it is, you know, it's not a super clean production, but at the core, it is interesting. And the disclaimer comes from there are episodes that are like super offensive, <laughs> like really, really fucking offensive. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things like I can't rock with them on everything in terms of like viewpoint, but I thought, I think the idea, I think there's something in that idea of finding, he found a way to talk to people who we don't traditionally hear from. And I think that has some value. I just wish he was slightly more woke. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, like, I'm already hooked on that. Well, try it out. <laughs> Trapping Anonymous. And uh, lastly, what inspires you to podcast? Uh, I like to tell stories. You know, I really like to tell stories. And I think Black people's stories are really valuable. I think, you know, often the reason why we do the nod is, you know, a Black story usually has to fit into some other box. Um, you'll have a business show. You know, and they do a story about one black person. Um, but it has to be a business story first mm. and then a story about black people. You know, a lot of our stories, and this is true for, you know, a lot of minorities. You know, it's true for, you know, people who are LGBT, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's true for, you know, people who are, you know, brown, Latina, Latinx. Um, all of the intersections, you know, usually have to fit through some other lens before they get told. And I don't know. I just think what black people have to say is important, you know, whether it's like silly, whether it's serious, you know, everything in between, I think those things are important. And so um, hearing those stories and amplifying those stories and and telling, you know, even parts of my own um, feels important. So that's why I do it. Like Eric Eddings, man, first of all, I appreciate you in so many ways. Thank you. Thank uh, you. For your amazing work. Also, when I first started, uh, Launching Silent Giants. Yeah. The first yeah. person I reached out to. And we went out for, for was it lunch or coffee or somewhere? Lunch. Yeah, man. Yeah. I got a fried chicken burrito. And, and you schooled me. You gave me a lot of valuable information. And I just really appreciate you for all that you do and all you represent, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you. No, seriously. Thank you for having me. This is really dope. We yeah. out. Appreciate Eric Gettings. Bye. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Special thank you to today's guest, Eric Eddings. You can get a direct link to The Nod in the description of this episode. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird of NBM Studios, NYC's number one studio for recording, mixing, and other audio recordings. Music for this episode was provided by Richie Quake. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off till next time. Oh, one more thing. Along with OPP, I am host of the Silent Giants podcast. Silent Giants highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wonder who designed the MTV logo? Ever wondered who recorded Prince Purple Rain or directed Michael Jackson's Beat It? We'll find out who did that and a whole lot more by subscribing to the show. The link will be in the bio, so be sure to subscribe to the show as well. Link will be at the bottom of the description. Out of here till next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.